The scripture reading for this evening comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. This is God's word. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have known, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, as we uh, come again to the book of Galatians, we're... uh in a series looking at this letter that Paul wrote uh, in the middle of the first century, around 50 AD, to a group of churches in uh, Galatia, which is more or less today modern-day Turkey, and most likely on the southern end of that, closer to the Mediterranean. And it's it's a book that is about freedom. It's about gospel freedom. And it's Oftentimes, if you're at all familiar with this book, this book has gotten lots of of airtime in print, especially around doctrinal conflicts in the history of the church. And it is a very good place to go to really understand what is the Christian message. And we will do some of that. We'll talk about some of that as we work through the book. But my main concern for us is I, would, I want us to look at this book over the next weeks and months because even more than this being a book that from which we may draw aspects of a uh, statement of faith, it is here for us because gospel freedom is to be a lived experience, not just an idea, not just something that we affirm, but that you experience and you know it. And as we looked last week, we we noticed in the opening verses of this letter that the good news that Paul preached was a message of rescue, of rescue by grace alone. In verse 4, in 3 and 4, he says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. This is a message of rescue by grace alone. And as a result of this message, though, many in this period in church history were accusing Paul of preaching half a gospel, particularly those leaders of the church at the time from Jerusalem who would say that, yes, you do need to believe in Jesus and trust in him, but you also need to be circumcised. You need to become culturally Jewish, religiously Jewish, and follow the law of Moses that that's just as much a part of this good news that Jesus came to preach and that Paul now is preaching as grace. And Paul is 
dumbfounded. As we begin to turn to the body of this letter in verse 6, it begins very different than any of the other letters that Paul wrote. All his other letters, they begin with a brief greeting like we have here, but then he usually launches into several verses of either prayer or thanksgiving or some combination of the two. He rejoices in the churches that he's writing to and gives thanks uh, for them and says how he's praying for them and what he longs for them, but that's not at all what we see here. After the very short greeting, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you and the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is angry here. This word translated astonished is a rebuke. It's Paul saying, I cannot believe what I'm hearing. How is it possible after just a short time, after all that we talked about, and I even told you, do not turn from this gospel. I can't believe you're turning from it. There are some in in their midst there in Galatia who are telling them, who are distorting this gospel and actually reversing it. And Paul is outraged. He's astonished. He can't believe what's going on. And the question that we are going to address and look at tonight is why is he so upset? And the answer to that in short is simply this, that any change to the gospel in the end is a reversal of the gospel. That's what Paul is teaching us here. This is what is driving Paul to write with such strong language and impassioned language. Because it's not that Paul is preaching half a gospel at all. Paul is claiming that the gospel that he has received is the whole gospel. And to tinker with that or to alter that in the slightest way is in fact to reverse it. So, we're going to learn three things as we work through this section of Galatians together tonight. I want to look with you to learn why revising the gospel reverses it. Why, does that, why is that actually the case? How can you be confident that the biblical gospel is actually true? That it is the one true gospel that you can stake your life on? And then finish by uh, trying to tease out a few things to help us to see why should any of this matter to us? Why should we care about this gospel the way that Paul does? So first, why does revising the gospel or altering it actually reverse it? Notice, first of all, look in uh, verse 6 towards the end and into verse 7. After he's expressed his astonishment that they're turning to, he says, to a different gospel, not that there is another one. If we were to try to render that as, as, as um, literally as I could uh, from the original, it would read something like this, that it would read a different gospel, not a different gospel. Or it would read another one, and, which is not another one. Paul is simply saying that there, there is no mixing here. There is no way uh, that 
this other gospel that you're turning to could in any way be considered a gospel, a good news announcement on, on par with or in addition to or alongside of Paul's. He's literally telling us that another gospel is not a gospel. And the reason that Paul rejects this idea of another gospel is, is because of this. There is an irreversible order to the good news of Christianity. There's an irreversible order to the gospel. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 6, again, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are turning, you're deserting. And then he says, him who called you in the grace of Christ. Now, it might be easy for us to run right past that, but Paul is telling us something very important about what Christianity is all about. It begins with God. That the order of the gospel, the good news of Christianity, always begins with God and what he's up to. Which is why Paul writes here, him who called you in the grace of Christ. God had called these people into relationship with him through the proclamation of the gospel. Paul had laid it out before them. He had demonstrated how God, from before the foundations of the world, had been planning and carrying out throughout history this great plan of redemption for men and women, boys and girls, and the whole creation. In fact, Paul, as we'll see as we work through the book, he himself, he was committed to a disordered gospel. Much like those who are teaching another gospel in Galatia. He was committed to a disordered gospel until Jesus broke into his life. Eugene Peterson, uh, a Christian pastor and writer, he puts it like this, that Jesus Christ showed Paul that he had it all wrong. That what he had followed was a gospel contrary, a different gospel. Jesus convinced him that God is on our side. Jesus persuaded him that sin is not God's excuse to get rid of us. But it's the occasion for entering into our lives and setting us free. There's an order to the Christian gospel. God calls us. We don't call God. God accepts us by free grace. Then we follow him. Maybe to put it another way. Some would describe Christianity as, I obey, I do what God says, and then he will accept me. That is a common street-level view of uh, what Christianity is, and it is not at all. That's what we call religion or moralism. The gospel is, I'm a sinner saved by free grace alone because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, I obey him. There's an order to the gospel. And that means that any gospel that depends on you and your performance, however small that may be or however well-intended it may be, is no gospel at all. You see, the order of the gospel begins with God 
and his performance, his work, his action, which enables yours, which makes it possible for people who are dead in sin to live a new life. So any portrayal of a good news message that turns you in on yourself is really no gospel at all. And why is that? It's because the gospel isn't just, it's not good advice. It's not help in a pinch. The gospel is a message of rescue. It's a message of freedom. And why is that? Because you are hopeless and helpless. That's what's implied when Paul says that Jesus gave himself for our sins to to deliver us. You're not delivered if you just need a little bit of help. You're helped. But if you're helpless, you need to be delivered. You need to be rescued. You need someone to come and break into the situation that you occupy and take you out of it. Now, let's, let's test ourselves a little bit. Um, how would you test the real order of the gospel in your life? Uh, let me give you one way to do that. Ask yourself this question. How do you respond to success and failure in your daily life? How do you respond when you have great success? Do you respond with a sense of elated superiority? How do you respond when there's failure? Do you respond with a devastated inferiority? You see, when you pay attention to how you react to when things go well and things that you're trying to do, they succeed, they work, or when you pay attention to how things, how you respond when they don't go well. All that effort, all that planning just crashes and burns. The way that you respond, if it's of elated superiority that now you've arrived, you almost begin to see or to begin to view people uh, with a bit of condescension. Or let's say they don't go well and you respond with inferiority. That you now know you don't matter anymore. You've lost your purpose in life. Your identity begins to crumble. Both of those responses tell you you've got the order of the gospel reversed. And the reason is because what's most important, what defines you the most, is how you're doing. The degree to which you are a success and the degree to which you are a failure rule your life. Now, let me give you another example of how uh, a false gospel can make its way in to our lives. Um, Perhaps you may have either been taught something like this or functionally believed this in your everyday life. Uh, Here would be an example of a false gospel, that uh, a gospel like this, that we are saved by a strong belief and trust and trust in and love for God along with a deep commitment 
to serve and follow him. I'm telling you that is a false gospel. Have you ever heard that kind of gospel before? That we're saved by really believing and trusting in God and being committed to him and following him. You see, the underlying premise of that is simply to say that we're saved because of the depth or strength of our faith or the degree of your commitment. But see, the gospel, that gets the order of the gospel backwards. It says that you're saved by the level or the the depth or the quality of your faith. But the gospel says something very, very, very different. It says that you are not saved by your faith. You are saved through faith in Jesus. It's not as though you're saved by faith in the sense that you can go to God, as it were, and say, okay, God, look at my faith. Look how strong it is, how much I've trusted you, how committed I've been to you. That is not good news. No, the gospel says, I am weak in faith. I don't know if I can believe. I have a hard time trusting. But I am clinging to Jesus. The only thing my faith does, it connects me to him. It says nothing about me and my strength and my ability. It only connects me to the one who has strength, who can rescue me. Who can forgive me? Those are two very different ways of understanding the gospel. One isn't a gospel and one is the gospel. See, the first approach, it makes our performance your salvation. The second approach makes Jesus and his performance your salvation. So Paul, the reason he is so insistent that to change the gospel is to reverse it is because there's an order to that gospel and it can't be changed. It begins with God and his rescue, his grace freely poured out on sinners who don't deserve it. And even though, however, if we even begin to grasp that irreversible order of the gospel, How can you be confident that it's true? That it is actually true regardless of what you think and feel or what I think or feel or what anybody else thinks or feels, but it's true objectively, independent of us. How can we be sure of that? Is that possible? And the short answer, according to Paul, is yes, absolutely. Let's look here in verses 8 and 9 and also in 11 and 12. You see, this, this word, that gospel that Paul uses more than anybody else in the New Testament, it's his way of talking about an all-encompassing truth about God, about what God is really like. And Paul tells us that the way that you can know that this gospel is true is it's not man's gospel. Paul didn't arrive at it. He didn't come up with it from serious reflection and thoughtful devotion. 
it was revealed to him as it was to all the other apostles. It's God's gospel. It's not man's gospel. Look at what he says in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul here is giving us the, 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 the framework, the grounding for confidence that the gospel is true, independent of you or me. It's independent of how you feel any given day or what you think any given day. Paul is telling us that this is a gospel because it, that's true because it's God's. It's about him and he wants you to know it and he has revealed it in Jesus and which is why Paul in verse 8 and 9 listen to what he says even if we meaning himself or any of his companions or other apostles even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you let him be accursed or other translations translate that, let him be eternally condemned. Paul is not mincing words here at all. Paul is making very clear how you can know that this gospel is true. He's giving you a standard for judging all truth claims about God, about what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And you see here, Why do you need to think about this? Why do you need to know that this gospel is true? No matter what you think or what I think, Paul tells us. He actually puts himself under the authority of this gospel. We looked in verse 1 last week that Paul says he's an apostle not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. Paul says here, In verse 8, he's essentially saying this. If I come to you and I preach to you a different gospel than the one I preached to you, I, I should be eternally condemned. My message isn't true because I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle because this message is true. Now, this is a really important thing and is scary as a pastor. You should fire me. And I am not even really kidding. You should fire me if I'm not preaching the gospel that we see in the pages of this book. You should tremble in your seat if you find yourself allured to a a gospel other than the one we find in the pages of the scriptures. Paul goes so far as even to say if an angel from heaven comes... And tells us a different gospel. You shouldn't listen to it. Now what this means for us is that this is an objective standard for evaluating what anybody else has to say about who God is. And what the good news of Christianity is. Whether they're a teacher, a writer, a pastor. But it also is very significant for your daily life. 
Because if you're anything like me, uh, Judith Shulowitz, who's a writer from the New York Times, came up with this phrase, the eternal murmur of self-reproach. The eternal murmur of self-reproach. If you're anything like me, you need a word from the outside to shut that eternal murmur of self-reproach up. You need a word from the outside that tells you there is good news and it's not about you. It's not, the truth of this gospel is not dependent on your feelings, your sensations, or your experiences. It is true because it belongs to God. And he has made it known. And he has given it to us in the pages of the scriptures. Now, it's quite clear that Paul, he believes that the biblical gospel is a precious thing. And he in no way is willing to compromise. And he's not willing, no matter what, he's not willing to compromise. So why should any of this matter to us? Why should we adopt Paul's posture with regard to this message of good news? Let me give you three uh, implications here. The first one is that a different gospel it compromises a real relationship with Jesus. Look in verse 6 again. He says, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see, a different gospel, it relegates Jesus to a friend or maybe a wise teacher or even an indispensable helper. But it never looks to Jesus as a rescuer as a savior and turning to another gospel a different gospel inevitably compromises a real relationship with him and not only that it reduces your life it basically reduces your life to your competence to your abilities and with no hope for change or rescue outside of what you bring to the table. Now, I'll just speak personally. That's, that's frightening to me. It's frightening to me to think that turning to another gospel means I am only left with my competence, however much there may or may not be. I'm only left with my abilities and There is nothing to help me. There's no hope for change other than what I can muster up myself. So a different gospel compromises a real relationship with Jesus. But not only that, a different gospel is, as we've been saying, really no gospel at all. You see, the gospel that Paul is preaching and that we are going to marinate in in this book week after week is very simple. You are rescued by grace through Christ's work. And that's it. Nothing else. Who you are and what you do cannot add to or take away from this good news. So so serious is Paul about that. He, He says again and again in this book, to reverse the gospel or to revise it is to reverse it. 
The moment that you add anything to it, it distorts it. It ruins it. And I, I had this, uh, this came home to me uh, in my uh, maiden voyage of trying to brew my own beer one time. <laughs> if any of you have done that, you, you know where I'm headed. You have to work really, really, really hard at every step along the process of brewing your own beer to keep everything that you're using to make it sterile. And there are, are, are just dozens of ways that you can forget and use something in making that batch of beer, and it ruins it. And it could be something as small as you touched something with your own hand and stuck it in that batch of beer, and it's, it's ruined. Now, you can go ahead and try and still, you know, let it ferment and try it later, but telling you, it'll taste terrible. Just that one small touch. It's no longer beer. It's nothing you would ever want to drink. And Paul is saying that about the gospel. That the slightest deviation from this gospel that God has given us makes it no gospel at all. And then lastly, a different gospel brings condemnation, not freedom. There, there's, just, there's no way around. Paul here is dealing with matters of eternal life and death. He's dealing with matters about truth and falsehood about God. The danger of lies about God means lies about us. Lies that we believe. And the consequences are dire. Paul says twice, if anyone preaches to you a gospel other than this one, let him be eternally condemned. You see, another gospel doesn't bring freedom, it brings condemnation. And on the one hand, to alter, uh, the, the, uh, to alter this gospel... Paul is saying, we're playing with fire. This is not something to mess with. It's something to bow to, to yield to. And on the other hand, it means that there is no escape from our sense of condemnation, our sense of guilt or our shame or anxiety and fear when we turn to another gospel. And in my view, as uh, we, uh, we close tonight, this is our biggest problem. I think this is our biggest problem that we face as individuals and as a community. It's the appeal of other versions of good news. Other visions for the good life that put us at the center of that and push God to the outside or remove him entirely. I think we are daily imagining and living by other gospels and they really do nothing but suck the life out of life. And Paul is saying there is more for you. The gospel's bigger than that. This good news is cosmic in scope. However, the allure of those other Gospels, those other good news messages, it's not solved with tactics or strategies or anything that you and I can bring to the table. It has to be weakened. It has to be replaced every day with the order of the gospel. 
this gospel of rescue. So how can you push back your imagination and even your pursuit of other gospels? The only way to do that is to confront and begin every day with the message that God calls us, that God makes the first move, that God rescues, that God frees, that God pours out on all who would turn and throw themselves at his mercy freedom and life and forgiveness and hope and joy. That's the only way that we can weaken those false gospels and begin to replace them with the good news of rescue in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us, that you would help us to get the order of the gospel right and that you would help us to remind each other of that good news, of this simple basic message of rescue that Jesus gave himself for our sins, that we might go free. Father, we pray that you would help us to remind one another of that. We pray for the grace to lay hold of it, to rest in it, to cry out for help, to remember. We pray that it would reshape our thoughts, our desires. We pray that you give us new desires for this good news and that you would work out your good purposes through this good news in our lives, that we would experience gospel freedom and gospel change and gospel community together because this is your good news. It's not ours. And we give you thanks and praise that you have shared it with us that you've given it to us, not just in words on a page, but in your very own Son, whom you sent, to suffer and to die and to rise again so that we might have life through him. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.